Welcome to a new conversation with Hani and Peretz, episode 5, part 2, titled Reimagining a Chabad House, a candid conversation with Hani and Peretz. We value the tremendous feedback we received on part 1, so we anticipate you will appreciate part 2. In this episode, both of us are the guests, and we are hosted by Yael Asin, class of 2008, who continues to engage us so that we can develop and articulate our thoughts regarding our 17 years at the Chabad House at Brandeis and the radical pivot we've recently undertook. I'm just wondering how this change in mission is is being received by the larger Chabad community, by by Chabad houses at other universities, um, Chabad houses in other cities that aren't tied to universities, and and by your families. I mean, this is a this is a big deal. It's a big change. Are you? It, it, is it a positive thing for them? Well, I think the question applies to Chabad houses and other campuses, not so much to Chabad houses and communities, because Chabad houses and communities and Chabad houses and campuses are complete different models. Uh, so they're, they're, they're not in the same league. They're not even, in, in a certain sense, almost in the same sport. Uh, but Why is that? Because Chabad and communities are there to, uh, in a certain sense, be part, become part of the community, uh, serve the community, provide certain services and needs that this community has. It's for people that are in a later stage in their lives or an earlier stage in their lives. It's not for people at a point in their lives when they're there to be educated. They're not in college to be educated, to grow, to transform. So the mission and the objective, the, 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 not the mission and the objective, but the mode of operation is not laser-focused on this goal. It's broader. It needs to be broader. On a college campus, it's laser-focused on this objective because it's at a point in their lives where people are there to be educated. They're coming to school. They're at a point in their lives where they have no responsibilities, no commitments, just to grow and develop. And therefore, the goal here has to be laser-focused on that objective, not so in a community. Now, on college campuses... um, I will say that our approach is looked on with either uh, a dismissiveness in a sense that, you know, that's just at Brandeis or that's just, you know, Peretz and Khani or some type of admiration, but not much of an adoption. Um, why is that the case? I'd say, you know, it's hard for people to change. It's hard for people to change habits and to really authentically, honestly, look themselves in the eye and say, what are we doing here? How are we doing it? It's nice to fall into habits. It's nice to be uh, like everybody else, to conform, uh, to belong to that sense of community that everybody's doing the same thing. Uh, for us, it required us to, it was difficult. I was, it was very, very hard, this process. It was internally gut-wrenching. Uh, a lot of conversations, writing, com- conversations with each other to come to this point. It's not a given. So to expect others to do that, you know, it's it's not hard. It's not easy. And, yeah. Do you have anything to add, Khani? You know, you mentioned gut-wrenching. Um and at the same time, Yael asked, 
you know, what took you so long as if it's so obvious. Um, sometimes a very simple solution demands um, internally and behind the scenes a lot of um, um, reflection that is difficult because one has to face what didn't work or what are the assumptions that we came in that didn't actually happen yet. And so rea- facing reality, um, not just in, in in what we do, but, you know, who we are as people, how we're raising our families, um, is it, it demands um, it demands a certain um, boldness and a certain maturity and a certain humility, and so it was it was a challenging task that we took upon ourselves a year ago. Um, though the change seems so like, of course you have to do that. How could you not do it? Um, but we understood that um, because it's not being adopted anywhere else. That. Um, Unfortunately, I think it does need to be done, but um, it takes a certain amount of courage to talk about things like this. I will tell you, just as an aside, that you did do this 10 years ago. You might have been more selective in the students that that you did it with, but um, in my experience with you at Brandeis and the, the people that I knew who had relationships with you, you were probing and you were honest and you were challenging. So you might be, you might have a broader scope now, but I wouldn't say that you didn't do this a decade ago. I think you're right. Only in that it doesn't really make sense for someone who's never done this to suddenly do this. You know, it makes, it's usually people who do this that continue to do it. Um, you remind me, you're right, because 17 years is a lot, but you remind me the very, program of I learned that you mentioned earlier, um, which was, you know, six to 12 classes a week that we offered that students attended, that itself was, was um, um, substantive and a change because it affected who can come for Shabbat dinner. So Shabbat dinner stopped being open to the public back then, 10 years ago, every week, it was every other week, public and those I learned attendees, public I learned attendees, which shocked people because they um, thought that it was against the Chabad philosophy, which is what you mentioned, the first thing. Shocked students or shocked uh, other Chabad houses? Both. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and we charged. Um, we charged for this iLearn program, which also shocked people because most organizations did and still do, probably 99% of Jewish educational organizations for college students pay students to learn. And Excuse me? <laughs> yes, I know. Um, pay students to learn. They will give them a stipend to attend certain classes, and they've increased it now um, to how in- much? Okay, so three, three to five hundred dollars for a semester of learning, and now that still is not. The numbers are still declining. So now they've increased it to offering them an internship. Um, perhaps in Israel or a trip to Israel in addition. And so instead of addressing the real root of why is are the numbers declining, instead they are, um, bri- we call it bribery, like straight out bribery. We will never pay anyone to learn. In fact, in the beginning, we actually charged to make it more significant for students so that they actually value commitment. Wow. Okay, just before we leave here today, I want you to give me some phone numbers so I can call and sign myself up for these <laughs> stipends. <laughs> well, yes, students need money, and one of the ways is, is this way. Wow. 
Wow. You're making a face like completely baffled. I mean, that's college. That's what college is. You 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 pay a fortune. How expensive is Brandeis these days? Close to seventy thousand. Seventy thousand dollars to have this educational experience, and somebody has to pay you a few hundred bucks to to come study at the Chabad house. That's just well. The reason why we refuse to do it is because what it does to the Judaism itself, what it says about Judaism. Uh, I say this privately and publicly. Uh, paying somebody to do something of of uh, of of, int- of to pay somebody to get a pot. How do I put this? Something of meaning of sub and substance that you have to get. Pay- you don't pay your children to do their chores. Right? And you don't pay your wife. Okay, that's the oldest industry. Profession. Yeah, that's the, that's the oldest profession. Doing that to Judaism diminishes the relationship like it would be diminishing to pay your wife. Um, it, it makes, it really nauseates me. Uh, Judaism is so rich and so valuable that to pay it strips it to pay students to come learn strips it of its value and of its meaning and of its, of its, of its substance. Right. And people enjoy things less when you're paying them to do it. Yeah. And the impact is less as well. But the numbers are up. And that goes Your to, numbers are up. No, the numbers of participants. There'll be numbers of people coming if you pay them. Oh, other people's numbers are up. Uh, the people who, who are, paying. are paying. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. the, the numbers are up, and that's the marketing perspective. I'm not, sure. I'm not so sure the numbers of the other organizations are up. Um, I'm not so sure. Um, but our numbers have gone up significantly um, without paying. And so I think the respecting the students' abilities and um, probing them, they value more than $300. I have a hard time understanding how other Chabad houses see success as uh, as as better numbers, having more people. I can see that in some other business, but but a Chabad shlichut, where you're really giving of yourself and and not making a fortune doing it, I would think you'd need more satisfaction than just your numbers going up. Well, the fact that they're walking through the door, the fact that they're in the Chabad space, the Chabad house dinner, the, the class, that is an achievement in and of itself. Granted. Why? Th- because what is the alternative? Where would they be? What would they be doing otherwise? Well, b- but what are you really accomplishing by getting them through your doors? There is, they're participating in this Jewish, authentic, Jewish, meaningful experience. It's a Shabbat dinner that is done with all the traditions. They're in an environment where they are l- at least listening to something the rabbi has to say. They're, they're in this space as opposed to being in their dorm room or being in the cafeteria where they wouldn't have that. There is value in that. I will not take it away. And there's value in their coming to a class, hearing words of Torah. So, they're, so what if they're being paid for it, but they're hearing Torah and they're learning new ideas? Hopefully, it will rub itself off. It will penetrate in some way. So, 
both in well is there evidence that it does in so sure sure to a degree it certainly does uh, but we need to do more that's our that's our argument mm-hmm. we need to do more because we have the capacity to do more and we have the responsibility to do more the combination of capacity the, and the capacity is a result of our unique deep Chabad education our deep unique Chabad upbringing uh, the, our history our philosophy that gives us that unique capacity and combined with the responsibility because they're walking through your door is what deems uh, the existing model insufficient what do you mean specifically when you say do more what is on your agenda? In a broader sense, that when somebody walks through these doors, not once, but over an extended period of time, when they walk out, at the end of their graduation, they could say, this place, this experience has impacted me in a way that I'm carrying it over into my life outside of college into my younger professional adult life and into my family life. As opposed to saying, this was a wonderful experience. I had a great time. Chabad is amazing. Peretz and Chani are wonderful. And I will forever remember it. I don't want Chabad to be a memory. I want Chabad to be in your present and in your future, carved into your DNA. That's harder. That's a lot harder demands more on our part and we know in a certain sense that we will not we will not do enough just there we will we will not we will not find success let's put it this way we will not come to a point where we say oh we succeeded because it is so much harder to have that penetrating impact so much harder so much more demanding on our part but we're going to strive for it that was my next question is how, how are you going to measure success it's a, it's a fair question I, I think we're still developing that it was it's a fair question when we moved out 2001 how do you measure success it, no Chabad house would say it's just about the numbers you know it's also about a certain measure of impact and how do people um, lead their lives after um, but in, in terms of us making a shift we have to figure out how to measure success because we have to know and the next stage is going to be a continuous reflection um we measure it through um time the time that they initiate and give towards their growth so not the time that they come for shabbat dinner but the time that they um will initiate in learning or reaching out to us to discuss something or um seeing what they involve themselves in through, through because of their experiences here um, after. Um, but it is a difficult thing to measure. I think also we are still early in this. We've just done one year of it last year. We, conti- we look to introduce new elements to this transition or to this, to this model this coming year. Um, and one of the things that we will be looking to do is figure out what is the metric that we look to to def- determine success and how do we go to achieve that. I think it'll take us, say, another two to three years to really flush that out. Yeah. 
<laughs> Say it again. Flesh that out. Because <laughs> now you can edit it. Yeah, I think, and you can edit this out too if it's not <laughs> relevant. But um, you really, I, I think I told you about this years ago, or maybe I put it in a letter that uh, you're talking about doing this as if it's a, a new thing and a new initiative. But I was, I graduated 10 years ago. And uh, the way I remember it, one of the major things we talked about during my time at Brandeis was um, about my boyfriend. What we want to do is not is to take those conversations that we had with you one-on-one personally and expand it into the broader Chabad experience that everybody who walks through these doors sees this place as a place to do that. And so it's not just the one-on-one interaction with Chani and Peretz when you get close to us and you pursue it, but just like the brand of Chabad is one of welcoming a non-judgmental and a wonderful Shabbat dinner, we want to change that brand to one where it's a place of deep self-discovery in an environment as welcoming and non-judgmental, but one where authenticity reigns. And that's what we're trying to... um develop with these podcasts and the varied people whom we're having conversations with um, including this one right now is to really peel back layer and then peel back another layer um, to discover what makes people tick um, what what makes people grow um, talking about failures talking about successes and hopes um, in order to promote um character in order to promote healthier relationships um yes so uh, what are you hoping your listeners are going to get out of the podcast i see the value in the individual conversations you're having with uh with the participants in the podcast but how are you hoping that this podcast will touch listeners for listeners in general i'd say by listening to the conversations between individuals on a particular topic, that will model for them how to do it in their own lives. On particular topics, it may it bring out that, el- that perspective in their own thinking so that they can then engage with it. Um, here at Brandeis, we would like to then have these conversations with students one-on-one in group settings. So we will, uh, we will broadcast a podcast, and then we will gather with a group of students to have a conversation, sort of a town hall meeting on that topic. So ultimately, what we would like to do is to get people to have authentic conversations with themselves and with those around them. This is highly necessary in today's environment where most conversations are happening superficially. In other words, they're, hap- they're all being projected. They're all how they appear on your new media, on your social media, and it's stripped away the capacity to have authentic conversations, to participate in them because you're always rushing out to go somewhere else or, uh, or listening to them. I'm skeptical of this idea because I think it's 
I think challenging people is something that happens face to face with them. So you were you were talking about the students who said they didn't have time to learn and you say, you know, tell it like it is, you don't want to learn. And when people are faced with that choice, that's when honesty happens. They have to either choose to be honest or not. But when you're talking about listeners in a podcast, they don't have to do any work. It's not that hard to listen to other people be honest and, uh, and, and have other people open up. Why, is, why do you think it's going to challenge people to listen to other people being challenged? I'm skeptical. Your skepticism is reasonable. Um, it's not easy to press play. Um, I don't think our objective is to challenge people to listen to it. In a certain sense, the people who are listening to it are already opening themselves up to an interesting, at the very least, just an interesting conversation. But we're in Waltham, and we have limited interaction with people and our alumni. And um, I think at the very first stage, it will be people listening who know Parrots and myself um, and are possibly interested in continuing to hear what we're up to now and who we're talking with. But we do hope that the conversations will be simulating enough that it will widen this circle. And when when I listen to other podcasts or snippets of conversation, I will often if it I find it interesting it sticks through me, you know, it sticks with me through dinner and I'll share it with parrots. So we would like people and anyone we hear an interesting you know, something, we share it with the one we see next. So um, we hope that people will take these conversations and then talk about it, even if it's five minutes over dinner with someone else. And so we will build a a ripple effect in promoting um, good, meaningful conversations. But combined with that, in our circle, in our orbit, here with the students, we hope to use these conversations that we have with a cross-section of individuals to engage with the students in these conversations one-on-one, because you are right, one-on-one is where the biggest impact occurs. And we intend to to continue doing that with the students, uh, realizing that, yes, podcasting is not going to make the change that we're looking to do. But it is hopefully going to create some type of impact in a broader sense and more importantly for us here it'll give us a context within which to continue the engagement so we'll see (laughs) indeed thank you for listening to receive notifications of our latest podcasts please subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app like apple Podcasts or google play we welcome your feedback and thoughts on our website, anewconvo.com, and on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash anewconvo. To sponsor a podcast, please reach out to Peretz, P-E-R-E-T-Z, at anewconvo.com, A-N-E-W-C-O-N-V-O.com.